Good morning. So glad you're here with us at Village Bible Church. Uh, what a great opportunity to praise Jesus together. In two hours, eight minutes, 37 minutes, and 29 seconds, 28, 27, we will be taking off uh, a group of seven of us to Ethiopia. In fact, I have a picture here with all seven of us there. That's Dylan in the far right, and my mother-in-law, Sherry's mom, Sue. Uh, she's the one who hasn't been feeling well. Many of you received a text from me to pray for her. Uh, then it's Kelsey, the third one. That's Dylan's sister. And then Maddie, with thumbs up. And then that's Pat, uh, Grandma Pat. Uh, she's here with us as well. Jacob, and, and then one good-looking young man on the bottom right. Well, we're going to be heading out. We're going to be going about 8,000 miles uh, by airplane, not by ship, as Bill already alluded to. And we have many, many goals, uh, many different opportunities and many different unique ways to spread the gospel. We're going to visit orphanages. Uh, we're going to visit uh, the homeless, the poor, uh, those families that are living on the streets. We're going to be connecting with, with uh, families that people here in America has sponsored, and we're going to be bringing them gifts and uh, love offerings, if you will. We're going to be conducting a basketball camp on Saturday. Uh, we're excited about that. We laid the groundwork uh, a couple years ago, and now we have uh, about 30 uh, youngsters, anywhere from 5 to 16 years old, uh, registered uh, for this basketball camp uh, where we will be uh, sharing the gospel in a very unique way. One of our favorite things to do is uh, purchase bread. And we purchase the bread from uh, bakeries, and, and, uh, and then we go and hand it, hand it out. Dabu, it's called in Amharic, Dabu. And, and we love handing out Dabu uh, to people because it's a real way to meet a practical need. We have hundreds and hundreds of cards that were made. Uh, Pat, well... She was like the leader here, and uh, she got these cards made up. I've, I've got, this is a very, very small pile of them. On one side, it's a mark. On the other side, it's English. And on these cards, it, it's uh, the sinner's prayer. And, and so we're going to be handing those out along with our Dabu. Uh, we also, she also, bet, somehow Pat did this, got these coloring books made, uh, where my, my Bible verse coloring books. And we have, I think, 250 of these. Coloring books, we've got Crayola, donated all kinds of crayons. Just very unique ways to connect with the kids all over Ethiopia. Ways that I've never connected with them in that way. Uh, from ch uh, chalk as well to color on the ground. And uh, we can do all kinds of different ways to connect with the kids. And, and that's, that's the goal. It is how do we connect with people in unique ways to share the gospel. Amen. That's, that's, that's our whole purpose as foreigners, or in Ethiopia, fringes, as foreigners in this land. How do we connect with people to spread the gospel? Well, I was thinking, as I was preparing for this message for the last couple weeks, I've taken a lot of time, uh, I, I preached at Plano a couple weeks ago, but last week uh, I was here while Jeremy was preaching, so I've had a couple weeks to really um, rest on these four verses in 1 Corinthians and, and just sit on them and, and think about them. And, and as I got to thinking about them, I thought, 
what if I had an unlimited amount of money? What would I do with that money? Would I be generous with that money? Would I, would I go build a new house and buy a new car? Uh, would, I, would I be bringing it into myself? Would I hoard it for myself and store it up somewhere so no one else could get it? Or would I be focused on spreading love to different people in different unique ways? So the weird thing is, is I got that opportunity these last couple weeks. Not, I didn't have unlimited money, but I had unlimited of something. In fact, I had unlimited, from my vantage point, I had unlimited of something so much that I have blessed every campus of Village Bible Church. I have blessed people uh, beyond that. In fact, I brought a whole suitcase of the blessing in here, right here. So if I open this suitcase up, see if I can do this. I have bags and bags of candy. You know, you guys want some? (laughs) I saw the baby. I saw the baby. (laughs) There you go. Okay, we've never done that at church. (laughs) There's more where that comes from. All right, if I didn't toss it to you, you can grab some later. We have so much candy. My good friend Pat again. We're going to be tapping Pat for Village Bible Church, get some work done. Pat connected with an assistant or a regional manager at Walgreens. And after Valentine's Day, they gave, all the different Walgreens gave Pat about 20 to 25 boxes of candy and stickers and Valentine stuff. And we have so much that we can't even come close to taking it with us to Ethiopia. We are going to take a whole bunch. But we can't come close because we're only allowed 50 pounds per bag. Each person gets two bags. And there's seven of us. That's 14 bags. Well, we need to take other stuff other than just chocolate. (laughs) But we will bless people with chocolate. We have covered every single campuses Easter egg hunts with this candy. We've taken care of those, so we saved a whole bunch of money for all those campuses. I, I put a whole case uh, they picked up for the Shabana Fire Department of candy. They did that last Sunday. While I was here, they picked it up at about 11.30 while the service was going on. I've had unlimited. I, I've taken it to school. I've used it as a math extension where they're counting and calculating. I've then handed out candy to every custodian I've given them a bag of candy after each school, each day I've hit every different custodian at least one time. So I've been blessing people with it. When you have unlimited of a resource like that, you don't keep it to yourself. Now, I did do some research and candy can keep for about three years, even though the expiration date says a lot sooner than that. (laughs) Well said, Joshua. Not in my house, that's good. But candy is just just an image of something that I have an abundance of, so much that I can either, A, okay, I have eaten some myself. But I haven't hoarded it. I've given it away, just like Pat. She gave it away. 
Let's take it. Let's, let's give it away. Let, let's share it with other people. Well, today we're going to dig into the 16th chapter of the book of Corinthians. And, and I, I need to give you a background on the book of Corinthians uh, just so you know exactly where we're at in this story. In about 50 to 51 AD, Paul left Athens and he headed over and he found himself in one of the busiest places in, in, in that area, Corinth. Corinth was located uh, kind of like on a little uh, landmass where people would actually take their boats, instead of doing their boats all the way around, they would take their boats and they would either drag them over the land if they were small enough vessels, or they would take the cargo off of the boats and they'd ship, ship them over to another boat or multiple boats. So it was a city that was just, they were going from South Greece to North Greece. That was the whole purpose. So, I mean, people were coming from all over the place to this town. And there was a lot of, we'll call it crime and, and shenanigans happening within the town. And Paul found himself there, and, and, he, and he met a fellow Jew, Aquila, who, like Paul, was a tent maker. Remember Paul? He was a tent maker. That's what he did for a living. And, and for a hobby, he shared the gospel. We know that that was his real job, sharing the gospel. For a hobby, he was a tent maker so he could make some money. So, so Paul, he began to work in the city, and, and while he was working as a tent maker, he started going to the synagogue as he did everywhere he went, and he started reasoning with people about the life, the death, and the resurrection of Jesus Christ. Is that what we do? I, I want you to think about that. Is that what you ever do? Do you go around your town, around the place that you're living, or, or the place that you find yourself, if you're in college or, or uh, at a works, workplace? Do you go and reason with people about the gospel and about beliefs and about understanding who Jesus Christ is? Well, Paul was. Eventually, Paul plants a church in Corinth, and they start meeting in uh, uh, Tish's home, and, and after spending about a year and a half there, Paul says, okay, I'm out of here. I'm going to head to uh, Ephesus. But after about a year or two, Paul gets some word about, about some things that are happening, disheartening to Paul, immorality happening, maybe even within the church. And, and so he wrote a letter urging the believers to, to repent and urging the believers uh, not to tolerate the conduct and, and, and just really encouraging them. Now, we don't know the contents of that letter. Some of you think I'm referring to 1 Corinthians. Well, there's a letter before 1 Corinthians that we don't know all the contents. We get, we get a glimpse here or there. But in 1 Corinthians 1, starting with verse 11, it says, For it has been reported to me by Chloe's people that there is quarreling among you, my brothers. What I mean is that each one of you says, I follow Paul, or I follow Apollos, or I follow Cephas, or I follow Christ. Is Christ divided? Paul asks. Was Paul crucified for you, or were you baptized in the name of Paul? Moving down to verse 17, it says, For Christ did not send me to baptize, but to preach the gospel, and not with words of eloquent wisdom, lest the cross of Christ be emptied of its power. See, these were the factors that caused Paul to write this whole letter 
of Corinthians. Why he wrote this initial letter. And, and I, it's important for us to understand this because of where we're going uh, for today. He dealt with different problems uh, that, that were fractions, uh, factions going on. Promise, he promised to visit them very soon. That was one of the things, one of the reasons for the, uh, the letter. Uh, he, he was sending that he was going to send Timothy there. Do you remember that? He, he's encouraging them. He's offering them a lot of encouragement. And he answers questions that they had. Very practical questions. Hey, what, what's, what, what should we do about this? Here's how you should do it. Here's what you should do. Because, first of all, that first letter caused a whole bunch of questions. And then he was receiving questions from other people. So he needed to answer them uh, practically speaking. Some of you sometimes ask me questions, practically speaking, about your life with Christ and how you should be doing this or what you should be doing that. And I just try to offer practical things based off of Scripture. And this letter is written, uh, frankly, out of necessity, trying to deal with the situations at hand. Real-life stuff. He wrote it probably about 56 A.D. One author commented, I, I thought it was interesting, he said about this letter, this letter has the great value of showing theology at work, theology being used as it was intended to be used in the criticism and establishing of persons, institutions, practices, and ideas. So a letter full of great, tremendous theology that provides the readers with realistic ways on how to live. How to live your everyday life as a believer in Jesus Christ. We love that. We love practical things that tell us, hey, these are some steps that you just need to take. And it brings us all the way to the last chapter of the letter. The last chapter of the letter. Uh, we're only going to go over four verses, but like, like all scripture, these four verses are extremely powerful. Extremely powerful, and they provide great wisdom. So just before these verses, though, these four verses and in 16, chapter 16, verses 1 through 4, Paul's dealing with some lofty stuff. Some of you know that. Some of you know 1 Corinthians 15, and you know that there's some lofty things that Paul is talking about. He's dealing with very deep things. He writes about the resurrection of Jesus Christ in, in verses 1 through 11 in chapter 15. He goes into great detail the certainty of uh, the resurrection in 12 through 34. He talks about the resurrected body in verses 35 through 49. Then he concludes that section about the assurance of victory over death. He's taking us to lofty places in, in chapter 15. He says, death is swallowed up in victory. Oh, death, where is your victory? Oh, death, where is your sting? And then all of a sudden he says, now concerning the collection, just a complete change one would see just in reading it. All of a sudden, we're right back down to earth. We're talking about all these lofty, heavenly, beautiful, wonderful things. And then he says, and now about the collection. Well, today I want to talk about that. I want to talk about the collection. So we're going to read these verses. And if uh, you're able, would you stand with me? I'm going to read just four verses. 1 Corinthians 16, verses 1 through 4. <coughs> Excuse me. Now concerning the collection for the saints, as I directed the churches of Galatia, so you also are, are to do. On the first day of every week, each of you is to put something aside and store it up as he may prosper, so that there may be no collecting when I come. 
And when I arrive, I will send those whom you accredit by letter to carry your gift to Jerusalem. If it seems advisable that I should go also, they will accompany me. Heavenly Father, bless our time. Bless your word. May it be yours and not mine. We love you. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen. Well, before we go through the outline today, I want to just go on a little background about what Paul is talking about here with the collection. Uh, because you may think that your pastor standing in front of you here today and, and, and urging you, go ahead, put money in, in the offering right now. That's what you should do. Well, let's dig in to understand where Paul's coming from when he's referring to the uh, collection. Then we're going to go through the outline uh, pretty quickly. In the ancient world, there was poverty. There was great poverty where Paul was. Not like the poverty necessarily you see in the United States, but like the poverty you might see in, in a place like Ethiopia. People were starving. People needed food. People were living their life thinking, how do I get my next meal? Not what is going to be my next meal, but how do I even get it? And in the United States, we, we do have poverty. It is an issue, but it's not like it was in Paul's time. In fact, one out of every eight people in the state of Illinois thought this was interesting, struggle with hunger. One out of every eight. One out of every six struggle with hunger if you're a child. Hunger is a real thing. It's, it's truly happening. And that's why the United States, the government, has created programs such as SNAP, uh, where they feed uh, and they distribute money to families that are hungry. Over $3 billion since SNAP has been introduced has been distributed in the state of Illinois uh, to families uh, that need food. Above the government also is places like food banks and churches, volunteer programs. They support families just like this as well. And you know what? There are plenty of people. There are plenty of people that abuse uh, a program like that. We all know that. that, that that's part of uh, running a, a country. But there are a lot of people, thousands and thousands and thousands of people that need that money every single day in order to eat. It's crucial. But sometimes I think, as I was working on this message, that sometimes our government, the United States government, for example, has stepped in so much that we, as a church, capital C, have gotten complacent because the government takes care of most of those needs that we see on a bigger scale. Well, and even in Paul's time, uh, the governments, like Greece, they had programs in place. They'd give uh, interest-free loans where people would come together and they'd lend money out, and sometimes they would give money away, complimentary. We saw the Jews, they did the same thing. They, they took, a, took an offering, and then they distributed it to the poor. That, that was a, a, just a program, a benevolence, if you will. So what Paul was talking about when he was telling the Corinthians to take up a collection, what, was he talking about the tithe? Was he talking about a tithe? Giving 10%, tithe means 10. Was he talking about that? So he and his companions could have uh, money uh, while they were traveling. 
You see, when Paul gave his life to Jesus Christ on the road to Damascus, you guys remember that story in the book of Acts. We just went over it. And Paul fell down on the ground after he was uh, persecuting Christians, killing them, or imprisoning them and beating them. When Paul gave his life to Jesus Christ, his whole life changed that moment, like that. And he went in, and, and, and he uh, eventually was able to see, and he started studying and, and understanding uh, the, re the word of God in a completely different light because he had Jesus Christ. He had the Holy Spirit dwelling inside of him. And so when he went finally back to Jerusalem to connect with the apostles, he wanted to be accepted by them. He, he wanted to, uh, because the last time they had seen him, he was caused everyone to disperse, to go all over the place because they were so scared of him. So he went to the apostles and, and he said, I want, I'm a follower of Jesus Christ and I want to be a minister of Christ and I want to go out and spread the gospel. In Galatians chapter 2, Paul explains that the apostles finally accepted him. You remember that? He, he, they accepted him and they said, you know what? Take Barnabas. Or maybe they were saying Barnabas, take, take Paul. And go out and preach to the Gentiles. We'll take care of the Jews. You take care of the Gentiles. They probably put their hands in and said, team. And so they went off. But they said in Galatians 2.10, in Galatians 2.10, here's what they said to, to Paul and Barnabas. Only they asked us to remember the poor, the very thing I was eager to do. That's what Paul said. Don't forget the poor. Don't forget about them. And Paul said, man, that's, I don't want to forget about them. And we remember from our, our study in the book of Acts how the church, after it took off, remember 3,000 people came to the Lord, and then they kept adding every single day, and it said everyone's needs were being met because there were people from all over for the Feast of Weeks uh, coming in for the uh, Passover, uh, the uh, Pentecost. So they were all coming in from all over the place, and, and so there's these people who were displaced from homes. So they had all of, they gathered all their money together and they started dispersing it to make sure everybody's needs were met. And it was growing dramatically. I mean, fast. And we even saw it a part, maybe it's in chapter 5, where Barnabas sells his uh, land. And what did he do? He laid it at the feet, all the prophets at the feet of the apostles, and said, use it as you desire to take care of people. They were going through money like crazy because they had to support and feed all of these people. So there was a great need. This wasn't done to build great wealth within the church. It wasn't done to build huge cathedrals or statues. It was done for very practical reasons, to meet the needs of people all over the place. It was done to support the overall ministry. And Paul needed a way to make sure that he was taking care of the needs of the poor in Jerusalem. This was a way that he was connecting uh, the Gentiles with the Jews. A great way to do that. And he needed a way to take that up. And so what he did was he took up a collection. He's taken up a collection, and the scripture says, for who? For the saints. For the saints. 
In fact, it says, in, uh, says that Corinth isn't the only place, but Galatia and uh, Ephesus, and it, there's actually several places he was taking the collection at the same time. And so Corinth is just another one of them. He wasn't collecting it for himself. He wasn't uh, lining his own pockets. That wasn't the goal of the collection. He was collecting to bring it back to the leaders, the apostles, so they could take care of the needs of all the people, take care of the ministry. See, Paul was a tent maker. He was bivocational. He was, he was trying to take care of every need he could on his own through the making and selling of tents. Beautiful work, a beautiful picture of serving. Paul was a motivator, too. We see that in there. He was an absolute motivator. If he had Facebook or Instagram uh, or, or a website back in the day, I bet he would be making videos like all in, like we do for the all in videos. Because Paul says, hey, hey, you know what? If the collection's big enough, I'll even go with it. I'll accompany with it. He was encouraging them, give to the Lord. Give to the Lord. Because we are going to take care of a ton of needs this way. He was, a, he was an encourager. It wasn't self-serving. It wasn't lifting himself up. It wasn't for his benefit. It was for the benefits of the saints. And it wasn't done in just a short time. It was done over a year, probably two years in length after Paul's uh, third missions trip. And by the way, the offering was large enough. He did accompany it. Romans 15.25 says, At present, however, I'm going to Jerusalem bringing aid to the saints. He was carrying it back with the other people. Well, go, let's go back to the collection, though. Why the collection? Why was he telling us, okay, here's all these lofty things about the collection? Well, most likely people, he was responding to people's question that they had asked. Hey, how are we supposed to take that collection? Or what's our process? What, what, what should we do? Remember that? That's one of the, it, this was a very practical book. Even though it was uh, chock full of all kinds of theology, he's responding to a lot of different questions. And so he's given them a, a procedure, how they're supposed to collect the, the funds for the collection. And, and, and really this is, it, it sets out principles as I thought about it, for, for the church long term. It really does. It sets it out. And maybe how, how we're even supposed to receive funds and, and collect money. They aren't commands from God. This isn't a command from God. It's supposed to be done exactly like this. Uh, but they are patterns given by Paul. And at least from my study, it's a great, great process. A good basis for the church's giving for people's overall generosity, even today. Well, I believe generosity needs to be three things. Let's dig into this. Three things. First, uh, the believer. I believe the believer that generosity needs to be a priority in their lives. It needs to be a priority in their lives. We have heard it before, and Scripture teaches us nothing different. We need to be generous with everything that the Lord gives us. It's his anyways, right? It's not ours. I'm guessing that you guys are like Sherry and I. 
guessing that you have mouths to feed, some of them smaller. You have electric bills to pay and uh, school fees, gas, doctor bills, vehicles to take care of. Hopefully at the end of the day, there's some money left over. And maybe you get to do something fun with it. In all of that, you, you try to wonder where your generosity can come from. Where does your generosity start? Where does your generosity end? With your finances. There's other things you could be generous with too. Time and skills and effort. We see that all the time. You see, generosity is commanded to believers. Generosity is commanded to believers. Jacob. In the United States, there are 247 million people that claim that they are Christians. In fact, I think we have a slide for this. 247 million United States citizens claim to be Christian. 99 million say they go to church. Only 1.5 million of them tithe. That means give a 10% of the amount of money that they make. Now the age-old question about tithing is, is it 10% of your income? Is that what the New Testament teaches us? Or is that the Old Testament? Then you got the net and gross questions. Well, you guys remember in the Old Testament, I'm, you're probably thinking this, or in the New Testament, Jesus tells the Pharisees, hey, don't give that tithe, because he knew where their heart was. He knew what they were, they were, they were to the penny exactly on their tithe, exactly 10%. They were doing everything legalistically. But I do want to say Scripture's absolutely clear about something. Absolutely clear. And, and most of the time you won't hear me say that I know the answer about something, but I know the answer about this. Where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. That I know. Scripture teaches that, that very clearly. Where our treasure is, there our heart will be also. So many people, people like me, we hold way too tight onto things. Okay, it'd be like me holding the candy too tight. Eventually, it's just going to melt in my hands and it's going to be worthless. I may get a good lick on it. You see, I trust in Jesus Christ. How about you? Do you trust in Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior that, that he'll take care of everything? I know that if I die this very minute, that I will be present with the Lord. To be absent from the body is to be present with the Lord. I trust in that. But I don't trust him in small things sometimes. I don't trust him where then all of a sudden I start worrying in my life. I don't trust him with, with my money because I'm smarter than he is, I think. We know that's foolish. We don't need to worry. I talked about that a few weeks ago. Scripture teaches us that very clearly. And we don't need to be focused so much on our money because it's not ours anyway. It was a gift from God. Billy Graham responded to someone once in a question-answer thing about tithing. 
about giving 10%. He said, we found, quote, we have found in our own home, as have thousands of others, that God's blessings upon the nine-tenths when we tithe help it to go farther than ten-tenths without his blessings. Well, the practice of generosity is a practice of fellowship. It's a practice of fellowship. When, when we give, it actually brings us closer together. I believe that's the reason the Lord wants us to give to him. Because it, it creates a bond that's much tighter. And, and I know this firsthand. Sherry and I, uh, we were contacted by a, a lady uh, several years ago. And she was interested in going to Ethiopia. In fact, it was a, a friend of Allie's, her ma, uh, his mom. Allie had met him at a, at a camp. They lived in southern Illinois, and, and they said, yeah, she's interested, mom's interested in going to Ethiopia. So we made the trip down south, southern Illinois, spent the weekend with them uh, to go and talk about Ethiopia and what that trip would look like and what it entails. Well, when we got there and we, we in, were enjoying uh, s'mores or something in the back, the four of us, just the four adults, the kids were all riding four-wheelers around or something, and, and uh, the wife said, uh, here's what the situation is. The Lord, I feel very strongly, does not want me to go to Ethiopia. I've prayed about it. I've gone to my pastor to pray about it, and, and I don't know why, because I want to. But here's what I'd like to do. I'm going to get a side job. And every penny I make, I'm going to give to you guys. It should total $3,000. And I want to bless you guys with that money uh, to give 1000 to each of the kids. I think it might have been Dylan, Jacob, and Maddie at the time. And she gave $1,000 to each of them. That bond that was created at that moment, that relationship, we did not know her really at all prior to that. That created a unique bond. That, that, that's what happens with generosity. Generosity is, is something that bonds us together. And, and when we give to the Lord what is already his, it creates a, a unique bond with us to him. Generosity is commanded to believers and it should help the people of the church. It should help the people of the church. I said it earlier, the collection was for the saints. The focus of the collection that Paul had, Paul was doing, was, was for uh, the poor. The apostles had, had many needs. They were taking care of all kinds of stuff. And so they were gathering this collection together and they were going to help the people. The saints, when we collect money at this church, it isn't for Village Bible Church, our buildings and our people alone. I think 12% of our entire budget last year went to missionaries, went to support people outside of our campuses. 12%, that's a lot, a lot of money that is going focus on outside of our walls. That's the whole focus. How are you, how are, how are you going to disperse it? How are you going to give it away 
because it's not ours anyway. That's what generosity is. It can't stop at just helping people the church, though. The third point is to be extended to the community, to the outside community. We, we spend another 5 to 10% of our budget every single year on, on people that have no idea who Jesus Christ is at all. Supporting community events and, and activities. You look at Pastor Dave, how he goes to prisons. Tom and Tom also go with, and, and they're serving at these prisons, and these people are just part of a community. They may not know Jesus Christ. They are, may not be part of the Capital C Church, but they're showing them love and compassion. You, you think of the Griffiths going to Uganda, supporting people there and loving people there. Uh, may not be Christians. Many of them are. Or many of them have been, the, the seeds have been planted and, and, and there's been a great harvest. But we serve people, the people of the community, because we love Jesus Christ. And in turn, that creates an opportunity to preach the gospel. We want to share the love of Jesus Christ to as many people as we can. And sometimes that means that we never speak about Jesus at all. We just take care of a need. We just support a situation. Well, generosity should be a priority in all of our lives. And it may be a priority in your life, but maybe you need to rethink it of what that priority looks like. It also needs, second point, it also needs to be a practice that is done repeatedly. Over and over. Paul tells people in Corinth to take up collection every single week. Every time they meet together on the Sabbath, they should put something aside so it adds up over time. Well, Village Bible Church, just like many churches, we take an offering every single week. Unlike other churches, we don't pass a plate. We, we, we have boxes in the back that we allow you to, to give in those, to, to drop in there, because I believe that your generosity is an exercise that is a personal thing between you and the Lord. That's why Village Bible Church does that, because they know of passing the plate, lots of eyes can see what's happening. And so we have boxes in the back. Now, I'm not saying it's wrong the other way. I'm not, I'm not trying to identify that. I'm just trying to say uh, that's one, one reason I appreciate uh, giving that way. And I don't know what you give. I don't know if you know that. We have a nice checks and balances here at uh, Village Bible Church. And I'm sure it's probably this way at most places. But when you give on Sunday... As a pastor, I have no idea who gave what. For example, if Reggie dropped in a check for $1,000 and Molly dropped in 50 cents, I'd have no idea. I would know that $1,050 was the total because one of my responsibilities as the campus pastor is to oversee the day-to-day -day budget, making sure that we're staying uh, within the lines and then deciding on distributing that money. More about that later. The point is, generosity should not be out of sense of a duty. 
I don't want you to give if you're feeling like you're doing it as a duty. And I'm being serious. I'd rather have no money coming uh, into the collection, as Paul puts it, if you feel it's an uh, obligatory purpose, if you feel that you have to do it. I'd rather you do it out of the, your love for the Lord, your desire to see his kingdom expanded. 2 Corinthians 9, 6-7 says, Remember this, whoever sows sparingly will also reap sparingly, and whoever sows generously will also reap generously. Each man should give what he has decided in his heart to give, not reluctantly or under compulsion, for God loves a cheerful giver. Loves a cheerful giver. Giving should also be proportional to your income. <coughs> well, we're right back at that tenth again, aren't we? We're right back at, at that tithe we're starting to talk about. Let's go in a little bit deeper, just so I, I can make sure I communicate, because this is, this is stuff that I have really appreciated studying over the past couple weeks, and I get to pass it on to you guys. Most of the time, uh, people in the Old Testament were given 20% or more. Did you know that? And, and most of the tithing that was done was a taxation. It, it was some type of tax. In the time of Joseph, it was 20% to be given to the Egyptians as they were storing up in preparation for the famine. In the time of Moses leading the people, it was 23%. Leviticus 27 said to give 10% to the Levites, who were the leaders of the land, uh, the, the judges and the uh, government. Deuteronomy then says give 10%. It is also be given for the funding of the national holidays and national feasts. There's 20%. And then another three and a third percent to be given for the poor. These were responsibilities, not offerings. Not, not a collection that was given out of one's extra, out of one's uh, love for the Lord and their heart. However, when we, when we dig into to scriptures like Proverbs 3.9, it says, Honor the Lord with your wealth and with the first fruits of all your produce. Honor the Lord with your wealth. How much is that verse telling, telling you and I to give to the poor, to the church? How much? Whatever we want as much as we can, out of our wealth, whatever our heart is guiding us to. Proverbs eleven twenty four, One gives freely, yet grows all the richer. Another withholds what he should give and only suffers want. I think Exodus 35 is a great example of how the Lord wants you to give out of your abundance. Listen to this. Exodus 35, I'm going to read uh, just a handful of verses. Exodus 35, 4. Moses said to all the congregation of the people of Israel, this is the thing that the Lord has commanded. Take from among you a contribution to the Lord. Whoever is of a generous heart, let him bring the Lord's contribution, gold, silver, and bronze, blue and purple and scarlet yarns and fine twined linen, goat's hair, I could use some of that, goat's hair, tanned ram skins, and goat skins, Acacia wood, oil for the light, spices for the anointing oil and for the fragrant incense, and uh, onyx stones and stones for setting, for the ephod and for the breast, breast piece, 
Let every skillful craftsman among you come and make all that the Lord has commanded, the tabernacle, its tents, and its coverings, its hooks, and its frames, its bars, so on and so forth. It goes on for several other things that people can bring to the Lord as your heart, as you're moved in your heart. Then in verses 20 through 22, it says, Then all the congregation of the people of Israel departed from the presence of Moses, and they came, everyone whose heart stirred him, and everyone whose spirit moved him and brought the Lord's contribution to be used for the tent of meeting and for all its service and for all and for the holy garments. So they came, both men and women, all who were of a willing heart brought. They brought X, Y, and Z. The practice of generosity needs to be an absolute priority of ours. Absolute priority of each of us. And it needs to be a practice that is done over and over and over. And finally, generosity needs to be entrusted to those that are proven. To those that are proven. Paul said, as they came together to give each week so that it, that it would be ready when he came, so he could gather the collection and he could give it to the apostles. We see it in the book of Acts when people were laying their money and possessions at the feet of the apostles. We saw that with Barnabas, as we talked about earlier. He laid his, his, his uh, prophet at the feet of the apostles. If there is a need, sometimes you come to a need, though, outside of the church. You, you think of the good Samaritan. Okay, I don't think the, the, the Samaritan, as he saw the person injured and bleeding on the side of the road, should have said, man, I'd like to help this guy, but i got to go give to the church, and they'll distribute accordingly. No, you take care of that need. He, he picked him up. I imagine him picking him up and carrying him, and, and, he, and he took him to a place to, to get healthy, and he paid for him, and he said, you know what? In fact, I'll, I'll even spend more money if, if what I've given you isn't enough. Generosity came from his heart and his love for humanity, his love for his, 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 the fellow person that he saw. As you give to the collection, though, make sure if you are giving to a collection here at the church, make sure you're giving to a, a, a group that is trustworthy. Trustworthy. They should be trustworthy. And it's been amazing to watch as, as you have given over the last three years that I've been here. It's just been an amazing thing to watch as, as our offering, our collection, uh, has actually grown. And I'm very thankful that you have entrusted us as leaders of the Village Bible Church uh, to oversee that collection. And this is something that, that we've addressed numerous times be because we need to be very thoughtful about that collection. That's the next point, Jacob. We need to be thoughtful of the needs uh, of the church and, and, and everything that's around us. And as leaders, as, as the collection is taken, we look at that and, and we, we try to figure out from a budget standpoint how to disperse those dollars in an appropriate way. And we spend a lot of prayer as we dig into that, as we, as we uh, try to be thoughtful 
uh, when we see a need outside of our church and even when we see stuff inside our church. How do we disperse it appropriately? And, and I, that's, the, that's the last point. The group should be very thorough in their uh, dispersion. Very thorough. Every penny accounted for. Uh, everything, uh, the checks and balances need to be uh, dealt with. And over the past decades, Village Bible Church has done their utmost to be extremely responsible with the collection. And I'm sure Paul was too. I'm sure Paul was being extremely responsible, and that's one of the reasons he probably went with it. He wanted to make sure that it was taken care of and it got to where it was supposed to go. As many of you have been part of, the overall church finance team checks and triple checks everything that happens here at our church. And I'm sure it's happening in most places. Uh, we even have multiple people counting uh, the collection each week as a way to uh, uh, prevent people uh, from even the thought of dishonesty. We don't think anyone that's uh, part of the process isn't trustworthy, uh, but we have checks and balances put in place. And then that collection is checked by our finance director, and that's checked by our executive pastor, and all of that's checked by the campus pastors. And then we have a third-party group that oversees everything. Uh, to, to make sure that we are totally focused on uh, serving the Lord and not focused on using that money inappropriately outside of the boundaries uh, that we have set. You know, let's land this plane, though. You guys are sensible people. You fully understand, I think, where we're talking about in the collection. I, 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 Paul is, is teaching Corinth a valuable practice. He's teaching them about a valuable practice, a practice that we all should make a priority. Some people do it online. Some people do it uh, each week uh, while they come here. Some, uh, it, it's a practice that not just the fact of giving, but it's the generosity that you are feeling in your heart. To be thinking of other people, not of yourself. And that's hard for us sometimes. Because we have needs. And they're real needs. Each of us has been blessed, though, in some way. Each of us have a lot of things that we can give and we can offer to the Lord. In very unique ways. Enjoy your blessings so much. Enjoy what God has given you and what God has blessed you with. Uh, relish in those. But while you're enjoying them, give as much back to the Lord as you can. Give it to the Lord. Hand it to him. The Lord loves a cheerful giver. The Lord loves a cheerful giver. Don't give out a mere obligation. Give out of your love for Jesus Christ. Out of your love for Jesus. And you know what? You cannot outgive the Lord. I'll challenge you to try that. 